Before I read uh, the passage I'm going to look at this morning, I want to ask uh, the children a question, and adults, you can answer too if you know the answer, because some of these some of these might turn out to be not just kids' questions, but he, here are my questions. Um, the first question is, if you were going to name someone in the Bible, if you are going to name someone in the Bible who's just really clearly smart, knows a lot of Scripture, they didn't just write Scripture, they know a lot of Scripture, they're always quoting Scripture, they, they have minds full of Scripture, what name would come to your mind? Anyone? Jesus? It's always going to be a, good, a safe bet. Safe bet. That's good. You're right, Jesus. Anyone else? David? Who am I hearing there? Job. Yeah, okay. Job is actually written before any other part of the Bible, probably. That's an amazing thing. But he, he wrote a lot of the Bible. Okay, so we got Jesus. We got David. I'm going to throw Paul out there. When I think about someone who's really smart, wise, knowledgeable, quotes Moses, Esther. Oh, Patty, I can't hear that answer just yet. I'll get, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay. Now, if you were to, and Patty, not you. Okay, we're not, we're not, we're not looking for whatever you said right now. Uh, if you were to name someone with who, who just wrote some of those beautiful poetry in the Bible. David, absolutely. We got David. You got to have David in there. Solomon, okay. Okay, third. If you were going to name someone who had the most, here's a $10 word, apocalyptic vision, someone who thought the most about the end time, someone who thought the most about the second coming of Christ, John, because he wrote what book? Revelation. Okay. Now here's where Patty gets to come back into play. The other person you should think of, when you think of tremendous knowledge of Scripture, when you think of just beautiful poetry to worship God, Isaiah, and uh, when you think of an incredible vision of the end of all history is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, of mother of Jesus, was a world-class theologian. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a world-class poet. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, had an expansive, nobody-could-beat-it understanding of the end times and how all things were going to turn out for God's glory. And uh, I think it's stunning that one of the things we have in the regular stories we read at Christmas time is we actually have a, a poem written by Mary, the mother of Jesus. So would you turn there in Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 46 through 56. Now, let me just impress you even a little more with Mary. Mary, in this poem we're going to read, it's the only section of Scripture she wrote, she must have given it to Luke, who then put it in his gospel. We, we think that's, that seems like it's something that could easily have happened, because Luke tells us at the start of his gospel that he accumulated his gospel by talking to the eyewitnesses, by, by gathering up eyewitness data, and of course that would have included Mary saying, hey, you know what, 
when, when, when I was told that Jesus was gonna be my son, that I was going to be the mother of the Son of God, I just burst out in a poem that I've got to tell you about and give to you. So to impress you just a little bit more with Mary before we read this, let me just mention that in all likelihood, Mary had little to no education at all. If she was a normal young girl from that period of time, uh, sadly, her education would not have been valued. And uh, so all of this is coming from the knowledge that her parents would have taught her or that she heard in the synagogues or, or, read, or read around or heard around in songs. She, so she's soaking up every little bit she can get. And then the second thing, and I know this is a little bit weird in our day and age, but when Mary is told that she's going to be the mother of the Son of God, she's likely 12 to 14 years old, just extremely, extremely young. And in case that just immediately uh, puts ideas of abuse and coercion in your mind, I think you'll notice as you read even this poem, uh, this is not a woman who's feeling ab abused or coerced. This is a woman who, who knows exactly what's going on. Her mind is saturated with scripture and she's receiving what's going on as a blessing to her from God. But I'm saying all this to say, I don't know too many 12 to 14 year olds now with the quality of education some of you are getting that could put this thing together. And I'm absolutely convinced after reading this poem all week long that Mary is twice the theologian I am. No exaggeration. She is just saturated with the scriptures and saturated with the vision of what God is doing in the world. So let me read to you Luke chapter one, verse 46. We could call this Mary's song. It's often called the Magnificat, which is just Latin for that word in the first verse that my soul magnifies the Lord. Here's the song that Mary sang as it became clearer and clearer to her what God was doing in her womb in giving her the privilege of being the mother of the Son of God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary returned with her about three months, sorry, remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Father, would you please come now and help us to spend some time this morning just reveling in your word. 
We pray that you would do this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. If it puts any moms at ease, let me just make you aware that I am aware that there are turkeys who are depending on my timeliness. And so I will do my best to stay within the allotted time so that we don't have a dry uh, Christmas dinner uh, this afternoon. That having been said, when, I, when my kids were little, we used to read to them from a little book of sermons for children by J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle was an Anglican bishop in the 1800s, just a, man, a real man of God. And Ryle had this little book of sermons for children, you can still get it online, called Boys and Girls Playing. And the title comes from this passage of Zechariah that pictures heaven or God's new creation as being characterized by having little children playing in the streets. And I was asking my kids if they remembered it uh, this morning, and one of them said, it it was so so lyrical, it was glorious. When I think about J.C. Ryle's sermons for children, they were clear and simple and biblical, but ultimately they had this depth that could really serve adults and kids. And they really assumed that kids had the capacity, the children had the capacity to take in a great deal of God's word. And this morning, I wanna try to address kids primarily, and adults can listen in too, with the assumption that children have an amazing capacity to take in God's word. And Mary is perhaps the prime example in all of scripture of just how much capacity a child has to take in God's word. If Mary writes this when she's 12 or 13 or 14, she's only had so long to store up all the thoughts that she now unleashes in this poem. And I am hoping that all of our children will see, this is what my soul has a capacity for. My soul has a capacity to be built up and to be be thrilled with the very things that thrilled Mary's heart. Now if you're sitting there going, Uh, Pastor Ryan, I would love to thrill at the capacity of my soul. I just don't know what a capacity is. Let Let me break that down. If you put just a drop of water in a bucket, then you haven't filled that bucket to its capacity. It can take more than just a drop of water. If your parents were happy when you got a C, when they know you can get an A, The reason they're not happy is they know that you're not living up to your capacity. They know you're not doing what you're actually capable of. A a capacity indicates the ability we have in our souls to take something in. And what Mary shows us is the tremendous capacity that's in every human soul, but is, unfortunately, we forget this, also in a child's soul. A child has this capacity. Let me show you four capacities we see from Mary's song. First of all, we see a tremendous capacity to know and understand the Bible. There is a tremendous capacity illustrated for us by, in Mary's song, to show us how much a child, a young person, can know and understand the Bible. Now, 
I do not have time to show you this, but Bible teachers will tell us that in Mary's 10 verses, she alludes to or quotes 35 different verses in the Old Testament, okay? This means that when Mary sets down to write poetry, the Bible is stockpiled in her brain and just ready to start flowing out to express her praise. Uh, The most uh, prominent uh, part of the Bible that Mary quotes from or Mary alludes to or references is a part of the Bible called Hannah's Song. Now, Hannah's song comes from 1 Samuel, and in 1 Samuel, an infertile woman, a woman who needed a miracle to have a baby, is promised a baby, and when God brings that promise to pass, or says he'll bring that promise to pass, Hannah explodes in song, and she basically says something that's almost exactly like, my soul magnifies the Lord, and, and, and the rich will be cast down and the poor will be raised up. Now, isn't it amazing to you that when Mary starts thinking, how do I praise God for giving me a miraculous child when I haven't even been with a man? She doesn't just quote Bible. She actually knows which part of the Bible has a song written by a woman who was given a miracle to have a baby, and that's the part she quotes. Uh, Many of you will remember Pastor Jones Nedzi, who faithfully pastored here for many years and now pastors in Meba, North Carolina. And one of the things that always blew me away by Pastor Jones's preaching is he would say something and then there would be a verse I'd never thought of in my life to illustrate the point he was just making. It was just on tap. And Mary is that kind of a Bible student. At 13, 14 years old, she knows the Scriptures so much that when she goes to praise God for what He's doing in her life, she is just exploding more Bible. In fact, she knows the way the Bible works. If you look at the last verses of her song, she says this, why is all this happening, Mary? Why is Jesus being born? Why is he gonna turn everything on its head? Why is he working this marvelous, merciful salvation? She says in verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She knows that everything that's happening to her is based on promises God made to Abraham thousands of years before she was ever born. She knows how the scriptures come together and they show God fulfilling a plan to bring a savior that he promised Abraham years ago. Little children, do you know your Bible like that? Do you know about Abraham? and Isaac, and Jacob? Do you know about Hannah's song? When you have a bad day, is it the Bible that comes to your mind? When you have a good day and your heart's filled with praise, is it the Bible that comes to your mind? Don't believe the lie that the Bible is a grown-up book. The Bible is a book that can fill children when they're 
8, 9, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, to the point where they're, when they're 13 years old or so, they can know its whole story, how it works, what's God doing in the world. That's the kind of book it is. It's a book meant to be accessible to all of God's people at any age who will just read it and enjoy it. So when you go to youth group, when your dad or your mom open the Bible to read to you, when I'm preaching, don't tune out. Lean in, lean forward, listen to the Bible. You have the capacity at a very young age to understand all the scriptures. In fact, your minds are made magnetic. They're made sticky at this age in a way that they, they stop being sticky at this age. You know what's amazing? It's actually not amazing, it's kind of pathetic. But I could right now sing to you the verse and the chorus from almost any top 40 song in the 80s. You want Duran Duran? I got Duran Duran. You want Twisted Sister? I got Twisted Sister. You want uh, Wham? I got Wham. I know that you're, you're, you're sitting there thinking, man, that makes him such a deep, rich, pop culture resource for us that he's so cool. Your kids will feel the same way about TikTok dances. Your kids will feel the same way about the songs that made your Spotify wrapped at the end of the year. Those songs will be like bubbles that pop, useless, no good to lead you to eternal salvation. No good to lead you through this life. At this time in your life, when your brain is sticky, don't fill it with the most trivial songs that the people of the world are making. Fill it with the Bible that will hold on to you and grip your soul through all the ups and downs of this life. Fill your minds with the Scriptures because you have a capacity to know and understand them. And parents in Christian homes, read your kids the Scriptures. Teach your kids the Scriptures. Talk to your kids about the Scriptures. They can understand the Scriptures. The second thing we see in Mary is not only this capacity to know and understand the Bible, but we also see a capacity to magnify and rejoice in God. Mary has a capacity for worship, for full-throated, full-hearted worship. She says at the beginning of her song, as she thinks about being blessed by God to carry the Son of God in her womb, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So the, the, the bursting desire of her heart when she thinks about being given the privilege of bearing Jesus in her womb is she wants to make God look big. She wants to magnify God. It was John Piper who said that... Uh, our souls are meant to be like telescopes. Just like telescopes take little stars in the sky that we can't see, even though they're huge, those stars are huge, but we can't see them as huge. Telescopes magnify them so that we can see them for what they really are. 
And that's what our souls were meant to do. In a world where people are always making God small, our souls were meant to magnify him in the way we speak and talk and act, in the way we dress. Everything we do was meant to put God on display to magnify him. You're thinking, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I alive? What am I supposed to live for? You were meant to live to make God look big. And you're not adding anything to God when you make God look big. All you're doing is acknowledging that he already is big. You're just reflecting the glory of the God who can make a promise to Abraham thousands of years before a virgin girl is born and he can keep that promise all those years and bring it to fruition in her young life. Magnify him. Now, how do you magnify God? You turn your soul into a telescope of sorts. I mean, that's weird. How do you do that? How do you make God look big? Well, she tells us, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. God is magnified when we rejoice. Or to quote John Piper again, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The happier you are in God, the better God looks. The happier you are in good in God, the more he's magnified. Do not believe the lie that children can only be thrilled by what this world calls thrilling. Do not believe the lie that children can only be thrilled by big presents under the tree or days at the amusement park or movie after movie of mind-blowing special effects. A child's soul like the adult soul, can become enthralled with the glory of God. It can learn to magnify the glory of God. You know, one of the problems with the ways we think about Mary is this. We look at Mary and go, we look at God and Mary and we kind of go, pregnant at 12 or 13, that's so backwards, that's so crazy, that's so horrible. But we forget that maybe part of that, and I'm not advocating for younger and younger marriages or pregnancies, uh, just because something happens in the Bible doesn't mean it's commanded, but we forget how much a small young person's soul is capable of. We forget that at a very young age, a person can glorify God and be thrilled with who he is. Third thing I want you to see about Mary. First, she had a capacity to know and understand the Bible. She had a capacity to magnify and rejoice in God. And she had a humility and a maturity. Mary had a humility and a maturity. We are in a culture that believes that teenage rebellion is normal. We're in a culture that believes that childhood immaturity is inevitable. We're in a culture that has now pushed back marriage so far that it's getting close to the 30s. Most people, by the time they're 10 years older than Mary was in this passage, have no skill to offer to the world. We're in a culture that has 
glorified immaturity and cultivated immaturity and keeps extending the time period of immaturity longer and longer and longer. And in that culture, Mary gives us this amazing example of humility and maturity. Look at the way she thought about herself. She thought of herself as a servant of God. For he, verse 48, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She didn't see it. The Christian Standard Bible translates, he has looked on the humble estate of his female slave. She saw herself as someone devoted to serving God. She wasn't in this never-ending free time where eventually she'd catch up with God. Maybe on her deathbed she'd say a few prayers. At this young age, she saw herself as given to the service of God. And not only that, but she saw herself as a sinner deserve, needing mercy. Do you see that in verse 47? Her spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So she's not someone who thinks she's good enough for God. She's not someone who thinks that she's going to work her way to heaven. She's certainly not what the Catholic Church has repeatedly taught, sinlessly perfect and conceiving Jesus in an immaculate conception. She sees herself as someone needing God to save her. She's our sister. She's our sister who knew that she needed a Savior. So she's a servant. She's a sinner who needs a Savior. She's also someone who's not entitled. She recognizes that everything good happening to her is the work of God alone. She sees that God is the one working in her life. She's not entitled, but rather she says, for he has looked on, verse 48, the, the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. She's basically saying, God is flexed for me. God is put out for me. The good things happening to me, they're God's. They're, they're not because I memorized so much scripture. They're not because I read my Bible all the time. It's because God has worked. God has acted for me. She's a servant. She's a sinner in need of salvation. She's someone aware that God is working for her. She's someone with a very mature conception of themselves. If you're here and you're three or four or five years old, very young, you are, if you're old enough, J.C. Ryle used to say this, if you're old enough to know right from wrong, then you're old enough to do right. And if you're old enough to do right, then you're old enough to know you've done a lot of wrong. And you're old enough to know that you need a savior. You're old enough to know that you're supposed to serve God with your life. You're old enough to know that nobody owes you anything. And if you get anything good, it's because God's giving it to you. It's a gift. You're old enough to know that your life is being founded on mercy. In other words, you're old enough to know the things that mature Christians are driven by. The things that make mature Christians walk in maturity. Stop giving yourself the excuse that you're a child. Stop giving yourself the excuse that you're too young. Stop excusing immaturity. And I'm saying this to the 40-year-olds. Right? We have been given all we need for life and godliness 
in Christ Jesus. Everything we need. Mary shows us this tremendous capacity for humility and maturity. Why aren't more young people humble and mature? Why aren't more young people humble and mature? You ever ask yourself that question? Anyone's parents ever told them they aren't that humble and mature? Parents, you need to do a much better job of telling your kids they are not humble and mature. Or kids, you need to put your hands up more honestly. One of the two. Maybe a little of both. There's an honest kid. Probably very humble and mature. <laughs> Why aren't more young people humble and mature? I'll tell you why. Because they're mad at God for not giving them what they think they deserve. It's because they're mad at God for not giving them what they think they deserve. He didn't give them the brains they think they deserve. He didn't give them the athletic or the beautiful body they think they deserve. They, don't, they, they haven't been given all the opportunities they think they deserve. They haven't been given uh, the resources their friends have, the money they think they deserve. And all of those limits press in our souls and make us angry at God. And what's so wicked is that even though all that stuff that's making you angry at God, here's what it is. It's just proof that you don't want to glorify God at all. You're mad at him because he didn't give you what you want to glorify yourself. The reason you want that body, that athleticism, that money, those opportunities, isn't so you can make the most of God, not if you're mad at him. It's so you can show off how awesome you are. Let me tell you something. When someone really begins to understand, I don't deserve anything. My life was a gift. And not only do I not deserve anything, but I'm a sinner, so all I deserve is hell. When they get to that point and then they see God is a savior who saves sinners, who sent his son to be born of a virgin and to die for sinners. When they begin to see that even though they didn't deserve anything, but God has given them everything, he's died to save them for their sins. When they begin to see that and they begin to want to serve him, it begins to create humility and maturity. If that humility and maturity is not happening in your life, it's not because of the age you're at. It's because you've not trusted and or aren't trusting Christ. Trust in Christ always produces a humility and a maturity even when you're as young and mar as Mary. You might say, well, I would pr trust God and believe God if he worked in my life as strikingly as he worked in Mary's. If he worked in my life the way he worked in Mary's life, then I would just trust him. Oh yeah? So what if you, God called you to be pregnant without a husband in a culture that stoned women who got pregnant without a husband? Or what if you met a really great guy named Joseph and you really want to marry him, but because God made you pregnant, Joseph was thinking about divorcing you? You think you just naturally praise the Lord? No. 
Mary's praising the Lord is just like all Christian praise. It's supernatural. She's calling herself blessed, not because she's so awesome, but because she recognizes that any suffering God calls her to is worth it if she can praise him, if she can glorify him, if she can magnify her Savior. Last thing. Mary has an amazing capacity to know and understand the Bible. We all have more capacity than we know to know and understand the Bible. She has an amazing capacity to magnify and rejoice in God. That's what we were meant for, was to magnify and rejoice in God. She has an amazing capacity, even at such a young age. Not, not to, she doesn't throw a toddler temper tantrum when God calls her to something difficult. With poise and grace, she responds with humility and maturity. And then lastly, she has an amazing capacity to see the world as it is and as it's going to be. She has an amazing ability to see the world as it is and as it's going to be. This isn't some sheltered kid. Look at the realities she's aware of in the world. She says in... Uh, Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She is aware that there are divides in the world between the proud and the humble between the powerless and the powerful. She's aware of the divides in the world between those who fear God and those who don't. She's aware of all of these things, and she's aware that a great reversal is coming. She's aware that a, the world is going to get turned on its head through her son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you might read this and get the idea that uh, the Bible teaches that all poor people go to heaven and all rich people go to hell. Uh, you know, there's this passage that says, he has thrown down the mighty ones from his throne, he has brought down the mighty ones from his thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So if you want to go to heaven, don't be a politician. And if you want to go to hell, well, I guess try to be a king somewhere. That's not what's being said. The divisions that Mary's talking about are all divisions between the people of God and those who aren't the people of God. You see that in verse 50? His mercy, this big overturning of everything, this big reversal, his mercy is for those who fear him, those who revere him, those who have a warm reverence for God. Those are the ones who are gonna get mercy. He has shown strength with his arm, verse 51. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The proud we're talking about here is the ones who don't have fear of God. The, the ones who think they can live life without God, without praising God. They tend to gather together and persecute those who love God. But God's going to scatter them. He's going to scatter them. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Now, that doesn't mean there's never a Christian ruler or a Christian senator or a Christian governor, it just means that by and large, those who clamor after power and get it, don't use it to support the people of God. They use it to bring them down, like Pontius Pilate, like 
the rulers even of our own day. But God is gonna bring them down. And the ones who get exalted are God's humble people, verse 52. He has filled the hungry with good things. That doesn't mean that every Christian is gonna be hungry, but it does mean that in the course of being a Christian, you may wind up hungry. Your, your allegiance to Jesus may wind up in you losing a job, losing a fridge full of food. But you will be filled with good things. And the rich, on the other hand, who are rich without God, they will be sent away empty. Now, whatever you make of that brief little exposition of Mary's words, let me just say this to you. This is a young woman whose mind is gripped by things that matter. She's thinking about the rich and their oppression and the, 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 and, and the proud and their ignorance of God. She's thinking about reverence for God and fear of God. And she's thinking about where life goes, where life ends up. She's not just living in the moment. That's the mark of immaturity. She's not just seeking uh, pleasure this second. She's aware of where all of world history is going. She's aware that all this pursuit of wealth and all this pursuit of pride and all this pursuit of power for power's sake, it's all going to be destroyed. And so she's not worldly. She's not after that power herself. She's not enchanted by what the, the latest pop singer would be singing about. She, she wouldn't fall into that because she knows it's all going to go down and all going to be burned and all going to be destroyed. On the other hand, she's not turned off of a life of humility and service because she knows that's what winds up on top. She knows that's what winds up participating in God's salvation. The people who get mercy are those who fear God. You can be three, you can be four, you can be five, you can be 15, you can be 16, and you can, you can come out from just focusing on what you want now. And you can learn to live for what matters for eternity. You can learn to live for forever and ever now. You can escape this horrible culture that only offers teenagers what their hearts want now. Change yourself, mutilate your body, mutilate your look, do whatever it takes to you to pursue however you feel now. Jump into whatever relationship, no matter how perverted, if it's what you want now. Chase money if it's what you want now. This world is just, just sowing seeds, trying to lead your heart to heartbreak and misery and eternal damnation. And then worse, the church can come along and say, oh, you'll think about important things later. No, Mary was gripped by the future now. She was gripped by the future now. She knew the poor were going up. She knew the rich were coming down. She knew the powerful were going down. She knew the powerless were going up. She knew that humble people like her, whose lives were trials, were blessed. And she knew that those who had no trials were cursed. And she knew that it was all about how you reacted to her son, Jesus. Jesus is the one who leads us in the great reversal. He is the one who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and 
because he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, God has greatly reversed everything and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And the fact is that in this life, all of those who humble themselves and trust God and ask him to forgive them and they call out to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they say to God, I have nothing to offer. If I can just serve you with the little bit I have, those lowly people are going to rule cities in heaven. Those lowly city people are going to rule the nations. Those lowly people are going to be exalted with Jesus. They're going to see it all overturned and you can start living for that at three or if need be 30 or if Lord have mercy 90 you can give yourself to Christ you can repent of your sins you can put yourself on his side of history the side of history that will assuredly triumph the side of history where there's mercy for all your sins. Rather than judgment for all your failures, there's mercy through Christ. Beloved of all ages, children of all ages, you are not a random product of evolution. You are not a meat machine. You are not just a vapor. You are a vapor, but not just a vapor. You are a person, a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl made in the image of God with the capacity to hear from God in the Bible, with the capacity to magnify his very being in your being. You can put God on display. Can there be any higher calling, any higher privilege? What would we live for if not that? You have the capacity to walk in humility and maturity and to see the world as it is, divided against the people of God, and as it will be, where all those who oppose God's Christ will be taken down, and all those who align themselves with him asking for his mercy will come out on top, enjoying heaven with him forever. What a Christmas gift. What a Christmas gift. Hey, what do you want for Christmas? Everything new. <laughs> That's great. It's awesome, right? Usually we're Christmas, we're happy. It's like one thing new. Oh, good Christmas. Two things new. Awesome Christmas. Five things new. No, no, no. All things new. That's what Christ comes in to bring. He brings all things, makes all things new. And I, don't, I, I like Christmas. I'm not anti-Christmas. I like Christmas because each little new thing under the tree is a reminder of all things new. Let's praise him this morning. Father, what a thing to be alive. What a thing to have a soul, to be a soul. What a thing to be made in your image. What an amazing thing to be four or five or six and have all of life ahead of you. What a thing to be a teenager charting a course in this life. Lord God, would you Give us a vision of you that just says, yes, that is where my soul will come into all it was meant to be. That's where all the capacities you've given to me will be developed and matured. What I was meant to be a worshiper will be ignited. What I was meant to be a Christ-like follower would be discipled. What I was meant to be an eternal 
liver in your presence, Lord, will be brought to pass. We praise you for your glorious grace. Amen.